0: Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends,
1: and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is what big shippers need from their 3PL with my friend, Andy Nitz. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Andy and I have been talking about doing this podcast for quite a while. So finally, we're doing it. I worked with Andy, boy, for like three years. I was lucky enough to assist Andy and his company with selecting a 3PL. And I learned so much. You think you know a lot about something And then you join another team and you go, boy, there's a whole next level. And I learned so much on the job with Andy and we became good buddies. He's also one of those unfortunate people who's a Michigan fan living in Ohio. So we've also (laughs) gone to some football stuff together. So Andy, introduce yourself and your company where you're at.
0: Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. My name is Andy Nitz. I'm the Director of Logistics for Dyke and Applied Americas. The division I work for is primarily commercial HVAC. And we are the largest HVAC company in the world. We are headquartered in Japan. Grew up here in Cincinnati, Ohio, as you said, unfortunately, in Ohio as a Michigan fan. And went to Moeller High School, played football, and that gave me an opportunity to play at Bowling Green State University. Nice. Back in the 80s. So we were a doormat for many teams. But from there, got a double major in marketing international business. So it means in logistics, I'm doing nothing which my majors had intended me to do, <laughs> as most people in business actually migrate towards. After school, started working with a large retailer, Macy's. I learned a lot about long hours and weekends and a lot about basics just in overall management, especially in the number of people you will have. From there, I went to work for a safety company. I was vice president of distribution and logistics for them. Was there for about 14 years and had an opportunity to move into the consulting area. I did that for a little bit. And frankly, as those who consult know, that traveling can wear and tear on you. Decided that I wanted to go back into the market. I landed with Dyke and Applied America. It's been with them now for about six years. And again, as a now director of logistics.
1: And Andy, you mentioned Daikin is the largest HVAC company in the world, which I know it is, (laughs) having worked with you and the team for so many years, and nobody's heard of you guys here. It seems like it's one of those names that you go, oh, what's that again? And more in the last few years, I've noticed it, but I think being the biggest, but not necessarily taking over this market in the U.S. yet.
0: I think that's a good point. I think you hear a lot about of our competitors, Train, Carrier, York, these types of companies, and A lot of that's really because they're on the residential end, and we have a residential division as well called Goodman, which is based out of Houston, Texas. And Dyken is really more on the commercial side. So if you're into the construction, specifically schools, hospitality, large buildings like One World Trade Center in New York, these are the types of spaces that we play in. I just think because we're more in the commercial sector, we obviously don't get the press and we don't
1: put out the commercials on TV. Right. And boy, you kind of just bounced across. We deliver to construction sites and to uh, schools and skyscrapers. That is quite the challenge. Maybe we'll talk about that. (laughs) I always say you deliver to the hardest places on earth and you deliver big things. It can be tough at times, believe me. (laughs) Yep. So today's topic, Andy, what big shippers need from their 3PL. I learned this with Andy. So a lot of this, we're on the same page and we prepped a little bit and we came up with five big areas. And who knows with might pop another in there, but these are five big areas that I want to talk about today. I should also say that just so Andy doesn't get inundated, he has a very good 3PL situation now. They went out and they searched for the right 3PLs and it was a great experience for me because I got to meet so many wonderful people. And the way Dykin treats people, everybody who's involved more or less is walking away going, yeah, you know, we didn't win the business, but those are great guys. I want to work with them. Not just saying this be nice, they are the kind of shipper you want to work with. So when Andy talks about these topics, it's not just like, hey, this is any old shipper. This is a great shipper to work with. Thank you, Joe. It wasn't easy getting there either, was it? <laughs> uh, it? It was a journey, that's for sure. So, Andy, what is the number one thing that a big shipper needs from their 3PL?
0: I think, first of all, it really comes back to the shipper itself. And that is that you have to really understand what you want first before you go to market. We had identified these and the reality was is when we talk about an RFQ or an RFP and these terms are thrown around quite frequently, it typically means request for quote or request for price. And we took a different spin. Really, we were looking for an RFP being a request for partnership. You know, we are going to be in this relationship for years, two, three, five years, depending upon term of contract. And we needed to have somebody that we could trust. We needed to have somebody that would help us grow. We knew that we had a lot of shortfalls. That's why we're in the market, right? We, we, we're out there looking because we knew we couldn't do things the way we wanted to. We, in full disclosure, told them, here are our aches and pains, and we need a partner to help raise us to that next level, not just to be transactional, not to do the blocking and tackling, so to speak, of everyday Tendering, acceptance, pickup, delivery, but all those other aspects that go well beyond just being transactional. And that's really where we tried to focus when we went through the
1: request for partnership. Yep. It is definitely married, not dating. Those are my words. I always use those words when we're talking about this because it's not transactional. You're not looking for somebody to do business with for a little bit. You're not saying move my loads today. You're saying this long term. Talk a little bit some of the attributes of what that looks like, that RFP, the request for partnership.
0: I think many of them, historically, I picture sitting in a room now on a Skype call or some type of Zoom meeting, and it's very impersonal, where we were trying to really drive towards we wanted them to see where we were, what we did, how we did. We needed to be there with them as we got our feet on the ground. So We actually took site visits to all our manufacturing facilities in the U.S. with our top three companies. We wanted them to understand what we were talking about, to get a vision. You know, the phrase, you know, picture paints a thousand words. And really, that's what we got from the site visits. We had site leadership involved, our customer service teams, shipping teams, receiving, operations managers. We wanted to ensure that they were hearing the voice of the customer prior to doing anything so they understood prior to the final decision and their formal proposal that they had an
1: understanding of what we did. Andy, we should also, I don't want to disclose anything that shouldn't be disclosed, but can you give us a sense for the spend? Because you guys are a very big shipper, but I don't want to say numbers because I don't think that's appropriate. So it's north of what? (laughs) North of $50 a year. (laughs) Yes, that's being conservative probably, but very big shipper. And you got all these locations and I got to participate in this. So I remember these site visits, bringing the 3PLs, I think it was the top few, to all these different locations and talk to the people. And you know, what was also great about that, Andy, you talk about the cultural fit that we would have is you guys would take us out. You know, we go out to dinner, have a beer, get to know each other and you start to say, can I work with these guys? And I thought that was fantastic because it also showed their commitment. None of the 3PLs that were involved. Well, there was a few 3PLs that said, no, thanks. I don't want to go through that process. Yes.
0: We did have a few of those,
1: but I love the idea that. You got out, got to meet everybody, got to meet them informally, also, you know, over dinner. That was a fantastic opportunity for me, too. And if I could add this in, maybe you could talk about this, Andy. It was either you or Ed always gave this speech about where we're at and the problems we've had in the past and that we want to be world class. We
0: realized that we were nowhere where we needed to be. You know, we had had some changeover in logistics in our company and. We needed to make a step forward. Our company had more than tripled in size in six years, and you know the phrase "Don't fix if it ain't broke," didn't fit. We needed to <laughs> right. do something. And you know one was that the leadership at Dykin needed to take an active role. And when I say that I'm talking from vice presidents to site leaders, etc, and we really collaborated very well together, and we understood that a change needed to be made. And the leadership for logistics really drove that, but in collaboration with all the other business teams. So when the decision was made, it wasn't just logistics and then forcing it down other people's throats. It was more of everybody knew what was happening. They were involved. And at the end, they all had votes as well as to who they felt would be the best partner. And I think it really is important to have that top-down approach where you continue to have your leadership involved. But you also really need to have the, I'm going to call it the leadership, but those actually doing the job, those people on the shipping docks, receiving docks, scheduling shipments and pickups and deliveries, you have to have all of them really integrated. If not, there is going to be a failure point. And at that point,
1: it doesn't matter who you partner with, you're going to be doomed for a failure. Yep. Andy, you know, I remember going to learn how to do meetings back in the day when I probably 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And we'd have to take that one-day class on having effective meetings. And I remember part of that was, we're going to go around the room and make sure everybody has input. And then you work a lot of places and that those rules kind of get forgotten. That doesn't ever get forgotten at Dykin. I always liked when you have meetings over there with you or Ed would <laughs> say, I want to give a little preamble, then I want you to talk, then I want you to talk. And everybody got a vote. As you said, everybody got a vote. Everybody was heard. There was never going to be a time when somebody said, that wasn't the 3PL I wanted. That wasn't what we agreed to. There was every step of the way, the whole herd was on board. It's definitely important to get everybody's input. Even as
0: a director, I understand aspects of logistics, but I'm not on every site all the time. So I don't understand or I'm involved with all the day-to-day aspects of what they do. And it's important that we bring that to the table when we're there. And when you say all the sites, their site's
1: in Minnesota, Virginia, we Virginia, Texas, 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 Mexico, Mexico. There was a lot of site visits we went on.
0: And also too is we did this because we were committed. We weren't doing it just to travel. No, definitely not. <laughs> you know, we wanted to make sure that we wanted a partner that was committed to what we were doing, to have them fully understand and meet the people and see the sites because anybody can put a flow chart together, anybody can put a nice graph which says here's the savings and how it's going to work. But we had a great process where everybody was fully instilled into the process, the questions, the answers, the solutions. It was a great thing that we did, and it brought us what we feel was a very great partner to work with. And we have had a lot of success over the past 18
1: months because of the way we approach this. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, as someone working on the project, I really enjoyed it. And there was one or two of us always on board. And everybody got a say in this. I don't think anybody in any level, inside the company, outside the company, 3PL, no one ever felt snubbed. No one ever felt like, hey, why did we talk about this? I mean, why didn't we take this trip? It was necessary. All the bases were covered. When I say all the bases covered, I don't mean just the nitpicky stuff. I mean big picture all the way down to the bottom against that request for partnership being so important.
0: And I think one of the things it also did is it put the relationship on multiple levels. Again, going back to what I would call normal or more frequent types of relationships when you're going through an RFP, you meet with only a handful of people with a 3PL. We were able to meet with their CEO, their VP, their president, their director, and we were able to create relationship on all levels. And and that's important to do. You have to have an understanding in terms of not just the day to day, but here's the future growth. What would it take? And you need to engage with all levels on both sides of the fence in order to make sure that not just you're handling today, but also in the future that your needs are
1: being met. Yep. I love it. So the first one is request for partnership RFP. You're not looking for anything transactional, you want the whole shebang. So What's the second one? What's the second thing that big shippers like Daikin need from their 3PL?
0: Culture. Oh, nice. We met with many companies who were, I'm going to say, some were overboard on sales. They kept selling, selling, and it's like, don't worry about selling us. We know what we need. (laughs) Tell us what you can do. Let's get beyond the sales side. And there are others where it was, do it our way or no
1: way. (laughs) Right. One other thing that just killed me, this was being a very big account. There was some, we can't mention their names, obviously, some very big companies that everyone would know who just couldn't hang. They would say, I don't want to fly to Mexico. And they're like, you know how much money is at stake here? Yeah, but I mean, where we, how long are you going to be down there? <laughs> like, are you seriously asking? You, want, you don't want to spend two grand for the trip?
0: Well, again, I think that everybody makes a business decision. But for us, it was really showing the level of commitment and Again, we just felt that it was necessary to see the operations. You have to be on the ground. And I think people see that now more than ever. Now since COVID, you know, everybody's doing Zoom meetings and Teams meetings. And these are great to keep business running. But for those people that travel and typically are engaged with either customers, vendors, suppliers, whatever, being in person, you miss that. There's something to be said about breaking bread with people and having discussions and seeing how they are outside of work and you get an idea for what type of fit is there in addition just
1: due to the day-to-day. Yep. So number one was this request for partnership. Number two is this cultural fit. And again, I should say this, I've probably already alluded to this, but if you work with Daikin, it is a Japanese company, but here in the U.S. it's an American company, obviously, but it's a great group of people based in I think your headquarters in Minnesota. But everyone you work with is just straightforward, honest, open, friendly, pretty accountable also. It's not all fun and games over there, but it is a great place to work and a great company to work with.
0: Well I appreciate that. And part of that cultural fit from Japan, for those who are familiar with the management style, is one of their plans is people centered leadership. And it's all about people. Even people that have different views, you know, you have to look at them and It's not, oh, they're wrong. It's you need to embrace what opinions they bring to the table. And we found that to be, as we ingrain that more in our processes, such a big benefit to our culture. And uh, hopefully we convey
1: that to others. One thing we didn't talk about when we talked about RFP and cultural fit, and I know you wanted to talk about it, is you were looking for a 3PL, and that's what you found, and you found a great one. But you also said from the very beginning, you want to be a shipper of choice, and you wanted a direct relationship with carriers. And I know even though you picked a 3PL, you brought some carriers along for the ride.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we did. We brought several of them. Yeah, I mean, shipper of choice is one of those topics that's thrown out there, and I think it's very generic at times. And people say that they want to be a shipper of choice, but I think trying to actually ascend to do that is a journey in and of itself. And One of the things that we found is that we were far from being a shipper of choice. I'm exaggerating a little but We were a shipper who would possibly just say, go wait in your truck for three hours until the load is ready. And you can't do that. And we needed to change that culture. So we invested money in our sites. We added shipper lounges and all those conveniences that as a driver you would like. But the concentration was really on what does the driver need? The driver just wants to drive. They don't want to wait. They don't want to sit. They don't want to talk. They want to come in, pick up their load and leave. So we put a lot of concentration on such things as a dock scheduler, working through that with our 3PL, setting specific times, working with advanced notices with our carriers, putting in equipment that allowed, especially in the Minnesota market for some indoor loading in terms of the tarping that may take place and things of that nature. So we invested a lot of time in that to turn our drivers very quickly. Because as you know, capacity is tight and you need to try to put yourself in a position whereby when a driver has a choice to pick up a load, does he want to go to Daikin or does he want to go to somebody else? And we need to position ourselves where we become the shipper of choice. And that's where we put our directive. Where do we become the shipper
1: of choice in terms of the driver? Yep. I remember talking to Andy and also his boss, the vice president of logistics. And I remember them being in at different times. It wasn't just once out at some of the Minnesota locations. It gets cold. <laughs> it's cold in Minnesota and they put tarps over this stuff. It's not the easiest freight to move. And I remember that you have a director of logistics for a big company and the vice president of logistics would be out there seeing how this stuff gets done. And saying, this is wrong. We're not going to have this anymore. And it's one thing to say, you know, we're going to improve this next year. And they pushed it. It was really an initiative that they had. And also, Andy, I know you have this because I went on some of these trips. These guys at Dykin, they don't undermine their 3PL, but they visit directly to the carriers and say, what can we do better? How can we get closer?
0: Yeah. And thanks for bringing that up. I think that, again, as your request for partnership, in our previous relationship, I am going to say we let the 3PL manage everything for us. Perhaps we were absent or stealth, whichever word you'd like to use, but we weren't really engaged. And we really saw that as a reflection of, wow, we are not doing ourselves any justice by doing this. And we really needed to improve how we demonstrated ourselves, not just to our 3PL, but to our carriers. So, you know, a lot of companies will have QBRs and they will sit in. but
1: Quarterly business reviews.
0: Yeah, and we take that to a different level. I mean, we do site visits to our carriers. We want to see what they do, how they operate. You know, we want to talk about, hey, as we're growing, what can you do? How are you growing? How are we impacting you? What can we do better? And we also want them to visit us. And many times you talk to a salesperson or somebody at a corporate level for a trucking company, and quite frankly, you're in an office in a city where you are 500 miles from. And having some of these carriers visit our sites, it's very eye opening as to what the process is. Again, I go back to a picture paints a thousand words and it really is a eye opening experience to them. And now they truly get an understanding of why their driver is saying something or why they like coming to Dyken. And also too, as I think it shows in our investment. You know, we would not go to a carrier if we weren't invested in making sure that we understand their business, how we can work together, what we need to improve. And that's on both sides. And then relationship, Daikin, we got to own 51% of it. It's up to us to make things better. We don't feel that we can hand over business to somebody and let them orchestrate everything. At the end of the day, Daikin still has to manage the relationship with the customer we have to manage the inner relationships of the company, whether it be shipping, receiving docs, sales, engineering, whoever it might be. But we have to take
1: that ownership. Andy, I've worked with a lot of shippers over the years who are you know, looking for advice or even consulting, helping shippers pick 3PLs. And if there's one thing that's a kind of a constant is there's bad 3PLs out there. I shouldn't say bad, just not a good fit for whatever reason. But there's a lot of shippers who have this kind of, well, I'll just throw it over the wall kind of mentality. And I remember when I was still at a 3PL, I'd say, oh, I want to do a quarterly business review or I want to have once a month meeting. And they go, no, no. And then I always think those shippers expect things to happen, but they don't want to participate. (laughs) And then there's another thing, my feeling, and I've said this a few times on my podcast, anybody who holds me at arm's length, they're going to leave or I'm going to quit. That's just how that happens. Well, you find yourself going back to transactional. Right. And so Andy never takes my phone call. I told him about a problem. I told him about a problem. And then finally, a year later, Andy goes, you know, we're not happy with you guys. <laughs> and you're like, hey, why would you talk to me? You never get that at Daikin. So number one, RFP, request for partnership. Number two, has to be that right cultural fit. And for Daikin, great culture at Daikin, he wanted that to mesh. It had to mesh. And that relationship, not just at the 3PL level, but also at the carrier level, which is a tricky dance because I, you guys never undermine your 3PL, which is great, but you still insist upon having those direct carrier relationships so you can make sure your business is getting done right.
0: I think too, there's one other point really in the cultural fit and that is continuous improvement. You know, our culture is we want to be number one. We're on a great growth pattern and that means we are going to be ever changing. What is good today will not be good tomorrow.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And we have to be very nimble and reactive and We are looking at things now that we didn't look at 18 months ago. And some of them, yeah, we missed them as we went through and we did the visits, but others, it's because when you double in size, things are going to change. So we needed to really make sure that we had a culture where we knew we were going to improve, but we really needed to make sure that 3PL was going to help us on our journey for continuous improvement. They have to help us get better.
1: Right. One of the things that I think was, Instrumental in some of these improvements in this attitude was you had a brand new management team, you and your boss, coming in and saying, "We can look at this with fresh eyes and not be tied to the past because we didn't make those decisions in the past and really say, Clean sheet of paper, what does this need to look like and that helps <laughs> it's easy when you can go i'm going to slaughter that sacred cow because it 's not mine well it's hard to do a lot of people don't want to look in the mirror
0: we're doing a great job we're doing fantastic and in- I think the reality is, is when you're looking for a 3PL to do those things, the reality is you're not. You need help. That's why you're engaging with them, and you really have to be honest with yourself and truly understand what are your shortcomings. Where do you need help? Where are your strengths? How can you play off of those? You
1: need to make sure that that also is in the 3PL's wheelhouse. I love it. So number one, RFP, request for partnership. Number two is cultural fit. What is number three? What's the third thing that big shippers need from their 3PL. Cuz you know, I mean,
0: a lot of 3PLs claim they have services and bandwidth to do what you need, but I really think it's services and scale. You really have to do your due diligence to make sure that they understand truly how much freight you move, how many people it's going to take to do that with the volumes. Also too, is are they big enough to grow? Are you big enough to work with us? Right. There's a lot of 3PLs out there that are for smaller and medium-sized companies that do fantastic jobs. But they don't have the bandwidth or the people to take
1: on a very large shipper. If you guys say, we're opening a new facility, I want you to move a DC or I want you to have a terminal close by, that's not going to be an issue with the guys you work with.
0: Oh, you're exactly right. And those are all things on our slate over the next five years. Again, we're looking at doubling. And we have been up front with our 3PL and they're ready for all of these challenges. So it's not a surprise to anybody.
1: And that speaks a little bit to the the first pieces. As you got so involved that, you know, when you talk about senior management, you could call senior management down to the lowest level at that company because that's how much you guys invested in the relationship already. So service and scale. And again, that little 3PL is probably perfect for somebody, just not for a big shipper like Daikin. You needed somebody who could grow with you, somebody who could bring what you needed. What's the next one? What's the next thing a big shipper needs?
0: Now I get into the meat, right? The technology. <laughs> we got to have a TMS system. You have to have your import and export data out of your platforms that you're working with. You know, whether it be SAP, Oracle, Manhattan, pick whomever it is. You have to be able to move data from yourself to them, to their platform where they can review, accept, tender, house data. They can react to it. They can analyze all of these things. And now it's even more so than that, right? You've got customers who, and let me take a step back. In the HVAC business, it's not one that's really thought of as high tech in terms of notifying somebody when it's going to be a delivery, right? That's meant for the Amazons of the world. right? And the funny thing is, though, is over the last years, the people we're dealing with are growing up in the, I need it now. And if I order it, how come in an hour, I don't have tracking? And this was a challenge. So we saw ourselves as really being behind the curve. And we needed to make sure that we had that capability for track and trace for passing the links to our customers, whether it be by email or text message, so that they had instant visibility as to the location of that shipment. And for us, that was a big change. But I got to tell you, it's definitely paid off, and it's been nothing but a win for our customers so
1: far. Andy, this topic has come up a lot lately, is that we all use consumer technology. Facebook, Amazon, eBay, Lyft, Uber, DoorDash, you know, all these things. And then what ends up happening is you go, I got a Lyft, and within a minute it was telling me when my car is going to be here. And then you start saying, I went to the office, and I can't figure out where my million dollars worth of freight is. And when I need to take a $10 Lyft ride, I have immediate data and starts bleeding over. So that consumer technology is raising expectations all the time.
0: It is, and it's going so fast. You talk about terms of blockchain and AI and these things that are out there, and you have some people leading the way, and frankly, we're not there yet. But these are things that we have to continuously look at. You know, it's no longer just about buying something and then in a week it shows up at the site. It's all that stuff in between, and that's really where we have to continue to push ourselves. And our 3PL is great that we've been working with on that platform, and we're doing some things internally as well to assist with our customers to continue to tie all of this together. But the thing is with technology, Joe's, you know, whatever it is today, tomorrow it's going to be totally different. So we have to continue to morph and improve through the dynamic process.
1: And Andy, you kind of alluded to it for a second here, and I think it's important to touch on this is when I first got on that project, we talked about, oh, well, we're delivering a lot of times to big buildings in Chicago or New York or Philadelphia or Houston, wherever you were delivering to all over North America. Some of the stuff was custom made in Mexico or Minnesota. Then it was being shipped six weeks later, five weeks later, whatever it was, and you're delivering to a construction site. And sometimes it had to be sequenced with other stuff. Sometimes you had to shut down roads. There was all sorts of stuff that was required, and I remember thinking, "Well, oh, yeah, you just make you know make an appointment." It is so much harder than just making an appointment in your business.
0: It is. We've used helicopters to take things onto rooftops. We're closing down city blocks in in Manhattan in order to get things to sites. So. Yeah, there's a lot more complexity, as you said, than just make a call. And the thing is, too, is that because you're working with customers or rep groups and distributors, these people aren't on site when you're delivering. So the number of people that you have to communicate the complexity of the timing is so much more than just, oh, we'll be there at four.
1: Yeah, and that's where the technology just gets that much more important. And I remember also, I say this all the time regarding delivering to homes. When you're delivering to a home, it's not a professional receiver. So he knocks on my door and I look out the window and I think, I'm not answering. (laughs) Unless I know I'm getting something, I don't answer. Why would I? And it's even harder sometimes when you're delivering to a construction site because the guy who is the contact might be the rep who lives 100 miles away and is not on site. But on top of that, they might be working on another building that day. And boy, I saw some real challenges with that and the technology. I know you guys have closed a lot of the gaps. It's never going to be an easy thing.
0: It's a consistent challenge. And then you're also coordinating with cranes to make sure that they're there on time. So you have, you know, to make sure they have their resources in place. And one of the things we found is that the deliveries, it's not just be there at four, but you better be there at four because there is a crew that is specifically waiting for you in order to get things done. So the margin for error is so much less. And instead of some companies, well, I said it was going to be there on Tuesday, it was, we're on time. We actually have tightened our measurement to 15 minutes.
1: I was just going to say that, I think it was a government building in DC that you guys were delivering to that had these just incredibly difficult requirements. And you said, that's what we have to do. Yeah.
0: And if you do it for one and you start ingrained it into your process, you put it to everything else you do. So it becomes just a day-to-day, but we've tightened our on-time metrics to 15 minutes. So it's not just same day or within that two-hour window. He has from, if it's supposed to
1: be at four, from
0: 345 to four,
1: that's his window. And again, driven by your customer. And you wouldn't be able to do all this without the tech. And that's just going to get better and better, which we needed to. So one last thing that we talked about, Andy, what is the fifth thing that you, a big shipper, need from your 3PL?
0: I think how does it come together? And that's the reporting. I think that there's a ton of data that you're going to get. We went from really no data to having so much. Right. (laughs) I think on the one side, the wonderful thing about a TMS system and being on our Oracle platform is you have all this data. But also the bad thing about being on a TMS and being on Oracle is you have all this data. (laughs) And it can be sometimes mind boggling to go through. So we really tried to focus on what we consider key, and I'll use that word key, Key performance indicators, because there's a lot of things you can measure. And what we looked at for us is we came down to four or five, and those were
1: what's going to move the needle. Right. And if those things are going right, everything's going right. As I always say, Andy, only the most important metrics grow up to be KPIs.
0: Yeah. So we narrowed down to about four or five. And one of the things that we do is we have a cadence that you set. And that is that everybody has expectations of what's reporting on them. And we bring in all the stakeholders from both sides. And we talk about not just how it's going and what happened, but how can we do things better? And one of the key things when we meet is we've kind of ingrained accountability into our meetings. And what I mean by that is, Joe, you said... I lived that. (laughs) You'll show a great graph, right? Or a bad graph. And Everybody kind of nods their head and then you go to the next slide and people are looking for, boy, how long is this going to take, right? So what we've really tried to do is minimize the length of these meetings, but to be very uber-focused on the topics that we have. But we also have ingrained accountability. So if there's an item that we bring up, prior to the end of the meeting, we want to identify three things. One, what is the item? two. Who does it belong to? And then three, when is it going to be completed? What is the action step that we had? Because at the end of the day, as I've been in many meetings where you walk out and it's you get that feeling of, we really didn't accomplish anything in here. <laughs> right. We met so we could have another meeting.
1: I think all your meetings have the, well, what, who by when? Huh? Joe, what, who by when? <laughs> I think I heard that a million times. Yeah. And we have a person that monitors that. So we
0: have a project manager that maintains the who, what, when. And these are reported on to us weekly
1: and monthly. Andy, yeah, I think some of the best meetings we had that I was part of were the weekly meetings with Dykin and the 3PLs. And it was, we would look at the data and I would say, okay, here's this metric. Okay, we had seven late shipments or 15 or whatever. In the beginning, there was more than there should have been. And then we'd say, what caused these lates? And then we'd have that discussion. And I always felt like, you know, you got to get to the place where you get the metric or the KPI is what it is. We had 85% on time. Let's talk about that 15% that wasn't on time, what went wrong, and how do we avoid it for next time, next reporting period, and that was where the what, who, by when, and I think that's so important. Also, I'll throw this out there. This is my own philosophy, and I think most people would agree with me, is if you're the 3PL, you have to be kind of radically transparent on what went wrong. If you're ever at that place where the shipper's going, God, you know, Something's wrong here, and it's not showing in the metrics, because that happens sometimes. We had that a little bit, Andy. You remember, you you go, it doesn't feel as good as the reports are showing. By the way, if you're working with Andy, anytime you give him metrics or KPIs, he goes, hey, that's cool. Send me the Excel spreadsheet or the data, and then he crunches it himself. The devil is in the details, Joe. (laughs) I remember you saying this to me many times. Yeah, I looked that over. You know, by the way, they're off. <laughs> like, I know they are. Of course they are. Didn't pass the Andy challenge.
0: And I think what you bring up is the who by what well by when and being transparent. I really think it goes back to what we talked about first, and that's the partnership. You have to be able to trust one another and put your egos aside. The goal is to improve. And the improvement takes place on both sides. We're going to push the 3PL to be better because our business is changing. They have to be dynamic and they have to be nimble in how they react to things and their data and their improvements. But also on the other side, we have to return that favor. They're going to push
1: us to be number one. We have to be open to what does that mean? Yep. Andy, you know, there's one thing that, you know, you invest in these relationships Quite a bit. And as a result, you're also saying, help us get better. You have to get better. You have to help us get better. And I know what you guys always say is we used to lose business because of our poor logistics. Now we're going to win business. We're going to be world-class. I heard that a million times. We are going to be the very best. Help us get there. And so if you're not willing to be open and honest about what went wrong, then you're going to slow that process down. On the other hand, as the shipper, if you shoot the messenger every single time, he stops coming, and then you start getting the good news report every week.
0: And I think, as everybody knows, I mean, in the relationship, there's so much work that goes behind making a sale. You know, there's product design, there's marketing, there's the sales teams, there's bringing things to market, etc. And it all goes for nothing if, boy, we're late, <laughs> you know? It's something that is required. More and more pressure, I think, is being put on logistics, period, in order to deliver things on time in a perfect condition as the customer has requested with their expectations. Not my expectations as a shipper, but as a customer's expectations with the visibility that they want. And this has all changed very quickly. Oh, yeah. The bar gets higher every year. Yeah, and it's gonna to continue to change. And that's I think the ongoing challenge is how do you continue to plan for the future? How do you continue to put yourself in a situation whereby you
1: know what you're doing today will not work in two or three years? This is good stuff, Andy. Thank you so much. I'm gonna summarize this and then I want to get your final thoughts on this. So again, the today's topic, what big shippers need from a three PL. And we covered five areas. And the first one was this idea of request for partnership. And that's not just it's just a partnership with the three PL. But also, everybody touches your supply chain, all the carriers. So you guys want that relationship. Number two, cultural fit. You guys are very polite, (laughs) very friendly, very open, but very accountable, very driven. (laughs) And you expect the same from your 3PL. If you don't have that cultural fit, it doesn't work. Services and scale, if you don't have the trucks or the warehouse or whatever is required for the job, you're not going to be able to do it. So you have to find a 3PL that fits that. You have technology, always important. And then reporting and kind of reporting slash accountability. It's not just reporting and saying, hey, this is how it went. It's this is how it went and here's how we're getting better. What, who, and by when. (laughs) So Andy, final thoughts on this topic.
0: I would just say that either as a big shipper or as a 3PL, you have to really work together. I can say that if you go in with a closed mind, it is going to be not nearly as successful as you would want. The key is a partnership. You are going to be working so closely with these people, and especially as a big shipper, when you're shipping hundreds of thousands of shipments a year, you have to have a partnership. You cannot be transactional. Just please do your research. Make sure you look at all these things and you determine
1: first what are those important things that you need before you go to that next step. And Andy, we didn't really touch on it, but I think it kind of is implicit in all this. This doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) This This is a journey. This is a process.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's a good one. It's all what you make of
1: it. So before you go, Andy, tell us a little bit about Daikin. We alluded to some of Daikin's business while we were talking about picking a 3PL, but tell us what's going on over at the world's largest HVAC company.
0: Struggle is growth. When I was with Daikin five years ago, it seemed that we were, previous 20, we were stuck at that same level. And since that time, we have quadrupled in six years. Whoa. Yeah, we're going to double again in the next five. It's a great time right now for Daikin I think just like anybody else, we're facing the current challenges of COVID and communication is a lot different and there's a lot of disruptions in the market. And I can say that the partner that we chose has been a benefit. They've proven themselves to be able to stop and change direction on a dime. They have been able to help us through the issues of capacity. And we're doing a lot of things internally and continue to explore things. So it's very exciting very exciting with Daikin. Again, Daikin is a commercial HVAC. We do have a sister company in Goodman that does the residential, but as you talked about earlier, everything that we produce is really customer specific. You know, for example, no office building is the same, right? Different floor plans, configurations, all of this. So, we're also one of the most efficient companies that's out there in terms of energy and usage, and we are cutting edge as far as technology and We've shown that, and I think that's what's led to our growth over the last several years, and we'll continue to do so over the next several. So a lot of great things going on and a lot of good things to come. By the way, my mom got a new furnace, and it was
1: a Goodman. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Jackson. Yes, you're (laughs) most welcome, most welcome. So far, so good. And actually asked the guy who was installing it, I said, how do you like Goodman? He goes, that's all I use now. So I was like, hallelujah. And guess what, Andy? hit a Daikin hat on.
0: (laughs) Oh, I like it. I like it. There we go.
1: Anyway, Andy, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. What I'll do is I'll put a link to Dykin. I don't know that there's a whole bunch of HVAC, industrial HVAC people listening for the podcast, but I will put a link to Dykin and I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile. And by the way, Andy does already have a great 3PL. So don't, don't call him with the idea of, I want to work with Andy. Reach out, but he's already got his partner. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank
0: you, Joe. I appreciate the opportunity and hopefully we can help some people out. I thank you much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. This was a long time coming. I know we talked about doing this for the last year and it finally got around to doing it. So thanks again and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Till next time, Onward and Upward.